Welcome to the Vintage Church Podcast. My name is Matt, and I'm the lead pastor at Vintage Church. We're so grateful that you would take time to lean into a teaching from one of our weekend worship gatherings. Each week, one of our pastors opens the Word of God with a relevant message in the hopes that you are inspired to live and love like Jesus. We invite you now to open your heart and mind and lean into the Word of God. Turn and say hello to those people worshiping around you, and you can have a seat as we welcome Everybody worshiping with us online, no matter where they are in the world, whether you're here locally, whether you're in Sofia or Seattle or San Francisco or Sweden or San Antonio, and that's all the S cities or places that I can think of right now. So good morning, church. There's a whole lot of y'all in here today. Just want to remind you, if you feel uncomfortable, there's a couple other gatherings, especially I know Vintage Kids is probably slim today. As your schedule allows, we have an 8.15 and 11.45. They're identical. So as you see fit, man, help us out and, and come to those gatherings as you can. We know that doesn't always work with your schedule, but man, we are so glad you're here. It's been two weeks, but it feels like two years since I've been on this platform. So put your seatbelt on and let's go. Come on. Because... <laughs> We, we are in a series that, in my opinion, is the deepest end of the pool. And I know we hear people like, give me the deep stuff, preacher. What you want me to say? You say words you don't understand and I can't pronounce? I don't really know what that means. But to me, this is the deepest end of the pool. This is for those believers who don't want to settle for just splashing around in the shallow end. That understand that to stay there is not enough. That for the believers who understand that salvation is a starting point, not a finish line. For those who know that Jesus has done more than just save us, that if Jesus came only for our salvation, the moment you accepted him, you would have died. But he left you alive because he wants to go from salvation to transformation. See, now that he has taken away your sin, he wants to give you his spirit. And when his spirit comes in you, you become different. Come on, somebody. It changes, it doesn't just change what you do, it changes who you are. 8.15 would have said amen right there, but y'all, it's okay. Sorry. Sorry. Y'all got more sleep, but I'm not judging. It's okay. It changes who you are. That we don't just settle for splashing around, just barely being saved and, and being okay with just checking a few boxes. Like, no, we understand that when our sin is gone and the Spirit comes, it begins to mold us and shift us. And now we've made it very clear that there's nothing you ever do to earn your salvation. In a series we call Plain and Simple, as we started walking through the book of Galatians, we were reminded that, that you don't get to God through jumping through hoops. There's nothing you can do to get saved. But after he saves you, there's a lot that begins to happen in and through your life. And it's not about doing all the things. It's about becoming a new thing. And that's who you are. You are not who you used to be. You may look the same, but you are not the same. Come on, somebody. You are not who you were before you met Jesus. The old is gone. The new has come. He has transformed and is transforming your life, and you are becoming who he intended you to be. And, and see, Paul, in this letter to the Galatians, starts making this really clear because he says there's a way that you used to live before you met Jesus when your flesh was in charge. And when you follow the desires of your flesh, it never ended well for you. You follow the desires of your flesh, and it may have been fun for a little while. And some of us have had a lot of fun living out the flesh. 
Come on. But we also know that it always leaves us empty in the end. That when we pursue all the selfishness and sexual desires and all the crazy things that the flesh leads us to, it may give us a momentary pleasure, but eventually it leaves us empty. And if we want the full abundant life that Jesus wants us to have, we don't just come to Jesus, we walk with the Spirit. And I just have this image in mind, because that's what Paul says, that we will walk with the Spirit. Look at Galatians chapter 5, verse 22, because he says, when you walk with the Spirit, it produces this beautiful fruit, but the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy, peace and patience and kindness Goodness and faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And such, against such things, there is no law. Now, those who belong to Christ Jesus crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And if we live by the Spirit, then let's follow the Spirit as well. Let's not become boastful, challenging one another and envying one another. He says, walk with the Spirit. And I just kind of have this, this mind. It's almost like synchronized swimming. Y'all ever watch that? Like, they're just living this, they do this amazingly beautiful rhythmic motion. And like, when one moves, they move. When I move, you move. Just like, <laughs> some people know that that is. Other people are like, what's he talking about? I just listen to country music and Christian. I'm okay. <laughs> Bring it in. But I imagine, like, that's, when Jesus said, remain in me and I remain in you, it's like we live in this synchronized movement with the Holy Spirit. Like, where he goes, we go. How he moves is how we move. When he moves is when we move. That we live in rhythm with God. And when we do, it produces this fruit in our lives that our heart longs for. We opened up talking about love. That what a follower of Jesus should do better than anybody else is love. But it's not just love. We have this this transcendent joy that's given to us by this perspective that the Holy Spirit gives us that's so much greater than happiness that it it isn't dependent on our circumstance. And Matt Rhodes brought an amazing message a few weeks ago talking about peace, that these fruits aren't just something that we, we possess, they're something that we also produce. Like the, did you catch that? That these fruits aren't just something we possess, it's something that we produce. We don't just possess love, we produce love. We don't just possess joy, we produce joy. We don't put, just possess peace that we produce peace, that our presence in the world should bring it down a notch. Come on, somebody, not keep ramping it up the way we do on social media from time to time. And Jasmine unpacked what I think is a better translation, not just patience, but forbearance, that we decide beforehand to bear with each other and all of our flaws and all of our mess and all of our junk. And now, I don't necessarily believe that, that Paul... Maybe he did, and maybe through God's divine intervention, was, was very much writing these things in a specific order. Like, is there a reason why he, he says love, joy, peace, patience, and then he says kindness? Because perhaps this fruit of kindness, if you don't have love, if you're not full of joy, if you don't possess peace, if you're not patient, you will never be kind. Kindness is also a fruit that's produced in the life of somebody walking in step with the Spirit of God. Someone whose life has been transformed by the gospel of Jesus and someone whose life is being ruled not by the flesh but by the Spirit of God produces kindness. You know, there's some things in this world you just cannot be. Like, ladies, you cannot be kind of pregnant. 
That's not a thing. Come on, right? Like, you can't be kind of pregnant. You either pregnant or you ain't. Come on, somebody. Like, there is no, like, middle ground. There is, it's one or the other. You cannot be kind of pregnant. You know what else you can't be? A cruel Christian. That is something you cannot be. You cannot be a cool, a cruel, you can be a cool Christian. <laughs> you cannot be a cruel Christian. And some of y'all are like, wait a minute, I've met a bunch in my life. I grew up around tons of them. They may have been cruel, but can I just submit to you? You can't be a cruel Christian. That those things can't coexist. That a life truly surrendered to Jesus, a life truly allowing him to be not just Savior but Lord, a life of a person walking in step with the Spirit is not cruel. And now I understand that like some of us avoided church for a long time because the meanest people you ever met were in the Cracker Barrel on Sunday and they just left church. But that's not the way it's supposed to be. As followers of Jesus, we must be kind. That that's, what's be, that's what we possess and that's what we produce. And this, this whole concept of kindness is littered all throughout Paul's writings. And if you ever notice, if you ever actually take time, which you should, to read the full compass of Scripture, to dive into God's Word and read these letters written by this missionary guy, this church planner named Paul, who kept writing to address all these issues. And remember, when he's writing to the Galatians, just like when he's writing to the Colossians, which we're about to read, this thing is still very young, and they don't have the Bible the way that we have the Bible. Remember that? Like, it's, it's several decades, centuries before we have the Bible the way that we have it. And so Paul hears about the way these people who claim Jesus are acting, and he's like, no. If you really know and love Jesus, you don't live that way. That's not that the Spirit produces some fruit in you. And if you'll notice, Paul writes many of the same things to different groups of people. And I think God has given us to say, hey, as Christians, we can vary in some things, but there's some things that every follower of Jesus must possess. Amen, somebody. So look at Galatians chapter three. Because he repeats some of the same things that he says to the Galatians. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, Clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Sound familiar? Sounds like fruit of the Spirit. Many of the same very words that Paul says to the Galatians, he says to the Colossians. I think he's trying to say that everybody who claims to know Jesus, who claims to live in relationship with him, this is what should be produced in their lives. Bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has any grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord forgave you. As a follower of Jesus, I don't think we ever have permission to be cruel. I don't think we ever have permission to be cruel. Now, look at me. We never have permission to be cruel but we always have the responsibility to protect truth. We never have permission to be cruel, but we have the responsibility to protect truth. 
Because we live in a culture that says to do one is to sacrifice the other, and I just don't think that's the case. I think we have to struggle and fight through the way of, of being kind and speaking truth, being kind and at times having to hold people accountable. Like kind and accountability are not opposed to one another. But I don't know about you. Maybe it's just me. I'm not naturally kind. Some of y'all are. Some of y'all are just the sweetest people. And I'm so grateful because let me tell you, I spent my entire life in the church and I've seen its ugliest side. I was a pastor's kid. Come on. I've seen some of the meanest people I have ever met were the people that called my dad pastor. And I'm grateful that you, you... Church, you support, encourage. In the last year, when I know we haven't made decisions that you like, I know that we haven't made decisions that fit everybody. I know that it's been hard, it's been difficult, and there's been times when maybe that we didn't do exactly what you wanted, but y'all have been, most of you, have been really, really encouraging (laughs) and kind and supportive through it all. And I'm so grateful because I know I'm not naturally kind. You know why? You know why it's true for most of us? Because we're not naturally kind, because we're naturally selfish. Our natural instinct is selfish. You don't believe me? Let me go put you in the toddler classroom right now, because we need some of your help anyway. (laughs) You don't have to teach a two-year-old to say, mine. We are naturally selfish, and here's the reality. Selfishness is kindness's greatest enemy. Selfishness is an enemy to kindness. Because kindness looks out for other people, and you, don't, you can't look out for others when you're looking at yourself. Selfishness calls us to look out for me and look over everybody else. And that is our culture. And here's the thing, you can't just... It's not natural for you to be selfless. I'm not mad at you because it's it's a natural disposition of our sinful, broken nature is just to be selfish, to look out for ourselves, to do everything we gotta do to make sure we're happy and we're successful and we have everything that we want. But the good news is none of the fruit of the Spirit is dependent on you trying harder. It's dependent on the work of the Spirit working in your life to change you from the inside out. And so what the Holy Spirit wants to do is uproot selfishness so that he can unleash kindness. This is the fruit of the Spirit, and what the Spirit has to do is uproot selfishness so that he can unleash kindness. And the more that you walk with Jesus, the more that you know him, the more that you sit in his word and soak in his presence and look to him for lordship of your life, he begins to uproot that selfishness in your life. And if he doesn't, see where selfishness is, abundantly present, things are never good. That if you, wanna, if you show me a place, a home, a business, a school, a community, that is in disorder and moving in crazy directions, I can guarantee you trace it back to everybody producing what they want instead of what we need. Let me show you. Look at Scripture. Scripture says this. Philippians chapter 3, verse 4. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Again, give you some real deep Bible study. When it says do nothing, it means 
do nothing. Do nothing. In your career, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In your home, in your business, in your, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. James chapter 3, verse 16. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. Do you ever feel like, look, look at our world and think, there's so much disorder, there's so much chaos, and there's so much evil? Maybe it's because we live in a world just full of really selfish people. And unfortunately, our churches aren't too different. But, verse 17, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. James uses a word there that's deeply connected to kindness. Do you see it? He says, considerate. Considerate. See, kindness flows when consideration begins. When was the last time we woke up every day and thought, I'm going to consider how my actions and my words impact other people. That's the pathway to kindness. When we talked a lot over the last several weeks about mindset, we talked a lot this year, mindset, right? Like set your minds, that, that what you consume is consuming you, that what's in your head eventually flows out of your life. What if you woke up every day and thought, I'm going to consider how my actions and my words impact other people? That is a game changer, church, because I don't think most of us live that way. We consider how my actions will advance my career. We consider how my actions will gain me greater wealth. We consider how my actions will help me get into the position of my life that I most desire. But when it's hard to be considerate of other people when you're only consumed with yourself. Let me rephrase that. It is impossible to be considerate of other people when you are only consumed with yourself. And if you don't consider the ramifications and the impact of your words and actions on other people, you will never operate with kindness. You will never operate with kindness. It's absolutely impossible. When you are so busy looking out for number one, you will always look over other people. Consider it. What if I considered the impact of this post I'm writing right now? What if I considered how what I'm about to say is going to impact my child or my spouse? What if I considered what I'm about to do, although it might be great for my career, what's it going to do to my coworker who is my friend? Now, some of y'all are fighting this already. No, Matt, look out for number one. Look out for number one. That's how we got here, isn't it? And we're supposed to be people who are like Jesus, right? That's our goal? Do we just need to pull those stickers off the wall? Is that all they are? Live in love like Jesus. And Jesus had compassion on everybody he encountered. And see, here's the thing. The decision to be compassionate Considerate 
develops the ability to be compassionate. The decision to be considerate develops the ability to be compassionate. See, being considerate is a conscious choice. You know what I've discovered? You can be unintentionally mean. There's times when we're mean and, and like we don't mean to. You can be unintentionally mean. Anybody ever been on the other side of somebody's unintentional meanness? Yeah. It's hard to be accidentally kind. Think about it. It is really easy to be unintentionally mean. Some of us are just wired that way. It is really difficult to be accidentally kind. And when we make the conscious decision to say, you know what, today, I'm going to live, I'm going to operate with this in mind. I'm going to consider the impact of my words. I'm going to consider the ramifications of my actions. I'm going to consider what other people think, other people's feelings, my, the impact that I might have. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 8. Finally, all of you, be like-minded, be sympathetic, love one another, be compassionate and humble. You see that word there? Be sympathetic. That's just another way really of being considerate, of considering other people's feelings and what other people may experience by what you do and what you say. And Jesus modeled this for us in such a real and tangible way. Matthew chapter 9, verse 36 and verse 37. When Jesus is going into these villages and he sees all these broken and hurting people, people who are longing for help, longing for encouragement, longing for needs to be met. Verse 36, it says, when he saw, when he, Jesus, saw the crowds, he had compassion on them. Because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. He walked around. He said, look, there is so much need, but so few people who are paying attention. I know we make this about evangelism, and I'm not saying that it's not. But what Jesus walked around, he says, look, there's all these people who are in need. There's people who are sick, who are hurting, who are in poverty, who are struggling, who are depressed, who have all these issues. Like the Harvest Church is plentiful, but there's too few people who are willing to look up from their own lives and see the needs of the people around them. And then he says, pray that God will send workers People will, look at me, people willing to do more than notice, people willing to do something. He doesn't say pray for people. He didn't say pray for watchers. He says pray for workers. And we got too many watchers and not enough workers. We got too many people that we know the need, we see the need, but we think that's somebody else's problem or the government's problem or if it's somebody else's job to fix the things that he said is the responsibility of his church. He says, pray. And that's why, you know what? It's gotta go beyond just, I have the intentions to be kind. Very rarely are people positively in, in, impacted by just your intentions. <laughs> and if your intentions don't produce action, can I just ask, what's the point? I had every intention to tell my wife yesterday that I loved her, but I didn't. She don't feel loved. 
workers. And can, I think Jesus takes this really personally. You know how I know? He told us. Go to Matthew chapter 25. Jesus tells this parable, Matthew 25, verse 34. Jesus says, then the king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance. The kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Then verse 35, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. He doesn't say I was hungry and you ignored it. I was thirsty and you said that's somebody else's problem. I was a stranger and you said not in my house. I needed clothes and you said I can't afford it. I was sick and you said don't give it to me. He says no. You did all these things. Then the righteous person will answer him. Verse 37, the righteous person will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And verse 40, the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me that Jesus takes very personally our kindness or lack thereof. He says, your cruelty to other people was cruelty to me. Your refusal to acknowledge the needs of others, I take that personally because that person that you're looking over while looking out for yourself, they're my child too. I love them as much as I love you. Their needs matter to me as much as yours. Not any more, not any less. And so when you walked around this life full of indifference and lacking empathy and sympathy for other people, you failed to be kind in the way that I designed you to be. And all of us are doing, see, we're just coasting through. And see what Jesus, Jesus was able to be so compassionate because Jesus saw people. He saw people. Jesus lived in a way where he was close enough to see and near enough to know. He got close enough to be able to see that people were hurting. He got close enough to be able to see that people were broken. He got close enough to see that people didn't have. And he also lived close enough to know, not just to see the need, but know how to feel it. And both are required if you're going to be kind. you got to get close enough people to see when they're hurting. And you got to get near enough to know how to make it better. Does that make sense? Close enough to see and near enough to know. And most of us, we don't do close. We don't do close. That's why COVID was our best life. Because we don't do close. We are more disconnected as a culture than maybe any other time in my lifetime. We know more about each other, but are less connected than we've ever been. Because our best interaction is on a screen. And see, some of us, we know, I thought about this a couple weeks ago. To get close enough to be kind 
is to get near enough to get hurt, and I ain't doing it. To get close enough to be kind is to get near enough to be hurt, and I've been hurt too many times. I helped them, and then they used that money I gave them, and they bought a PlayStation 5. I was kind to them, and their return to me was they didn't call me for six months. And so we've just stopped being kind because we've started to just withdraw from people. But if we're going to unleash the kindness in our world that, come on, it desperately needs, we've got to have the courage to get close. Close enough to see and near enough to know. And let me just give you two practical things to unleash kindness in your life. Do what you can and watch what you say. Do what you can and watch what you say. Number one, do what you can. See, sometimes we don't think we can do much, so we do nothing at all. We think that what we can do is so small that it's not enough to matter. Can I say that's a lie from the devil? It is a lie from Satan himself. I don't have a million dollars to give away. I can't do this, I don't have time. Do what you can. God is not asking you to do what you can't, but what you can do is more than you realize. 1 John chapter 5. Excuse me, 1 John chapter 3, verse 17. If anyone has material possessions and sees a brother or sister in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with actions and in truth. Do what you can Anybody ever been on the other side of somebody's extreme kindness? I never forget when Ashley and I first got married, we were baroque. B A R O K E. Baroque. And my wife had won an award. She was the educational student of the year, and we were supposed to go down to a university in South Carolina for her to get this award. But like, we were in that, like, you put $3 in the gas tank and just hope it'll last for the next paycheck. Come on, somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And so we had been saving up to do this trip. It was awesome that we were doing this trip, but we needed some money and that kind of stuff. And because we were baroque, we were being very close. And then all of a sudden, I went to the mailbox one day, and there was something in there called car taxes. Anybody else kind of just dread? You open the mailbox like this. That was back when all the bills came in the mail. Now it's like opening your email like, oh, crap, what is this going to be? It was $298. It might as well have been a million Right before we were about to go on our trip, there was a guy in our church at the time, Bill Jenkins. He came, rang my doorbell, and I came out, and Bill just said, hey, man, I heard you're going on vacation, going on a trip with your wife. She wanted to work. Congratulations. It's awesome. And Bill and I talked for a little bit, and right before Bill was about to leave, he reached out, and he shook my hand. And I noticed he put something in it. And I took it, and I put it in my pocket, and we talked for a little bit, and he left. Went back in the house, and I pulled it out of my pocket, and it was three $100 bills. My car taxes was $298. For Bill, 300 bucks wasn't a whole lot of money. For me, he might as well have handed me a million. And I'll never forget that moment of his kindness and how it impacted my life. Do what you can. Some of you, $300, it might as well be three million, but there's something that you can do. And one of the things you can do is watch what you say because never underestimate the weight of your words. I think we are not nearly conscious enough about the power of kind words in the life of those around us. Look at Proverbs chapter 18, verse 21. 
The tongue has the power of life and death. Those who love it will eat its fruit. Did you notice that? The power, the tongue can give life or it can bring death. You will never understand the power of your words. That moment when you uproot selfishness from your life and allow God to be able to use you to act in kindness toward others and you take a moment to decide to be considerate and you wake up and God puts a friend on your mind and just a simple little text message that says, hey, dude, I love you. I'm proud of you. I'm glad you're in my life. I hope you have an amazing day and I'm so grateful you're my friend. Oh, Matt, that's too simple. Then you've never got one of those and it changed your day somebody walks up to you and tells you that you matter, that you're valuable, that you are gifted and talented and God is doing something in your life. And no matter how depressed or anxious or frustrated or insecure you might, you might feel, I am with you, I am for you, and we will walk through this together. The power of your words. We're in a time right now where people are more anxious and even in our own community, I'm tired of reading headlines about teenagers and others taking their own life. And I just wonder how much would be different if the church operated with the kindness it's called to operate with. But that'll never happen until we allow his spirit to uproot the selfishness in our lives so that he can unleash kindness on our world that needs it so desperately. Would you pray with me? Would you spend a minute before we get out of this room looking at your own life, thinking about what you can do, should do, will do when you leave here? Those acts of kindness that, that don't seem like much to you, but they are so important to the people that are on the other end. Do what you can. What can you do? What can you do today as an act of kindness to make somebody feel loved and valued. Watch what you say, the words that you speak over your spouse and into your kids and around those people you work with. God, help us. Help us allow you to work, to move in our spirit, to unleash kindness, uproot the selfishness, empty us of ourselves that we might be filled with just your spirit and able to love and operate with kindness in a way that gives life to the people around us. God, work in us and through us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Y'all, we're so glad that you are here today. We're thankful that you have joined us online and what an awesome and immediately applicable message that we've heard today. We would love to know the ways that today you are going to speak and show kindness in the world. Share that with us through the respond feature on the app. Let us know any other ways that we can pray for you and come alongside you in this journey as we all learn how to better live and love like Jesus. Y'all, we hope that you have a great week. If this is your first time here or you're new or you wanna know how to take next steps, if you're here in the room, stop by and see McKenzie at the welcome table on your way out. If you're online, hit that respond feature and let us know how, you, how we can help you take your next steps here at Vintage. Have a great week and we'll see you next Sunday. Thanks for listening to the Vintage Church Podcast. 
We hope what you have just heard has inspired you to live and love like Jesus. If you'd like to know more about Venice Church or to get further connected, we invite you to visit us at our website at venicechurch.net. We'd also encourage you to download the Vintage app. There you can find more resources about how to get involved and grow in your faith. You can access the Venice Church app by going to app.venicechurch.net. Thank you so much for allowing us to be a part of your spiritual journey, and we hope to see you soon.